Hello, and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, a podcast for parents as well as children and youth ministry leaders. We are dedicated to showing how theological study and biblical application relate to the discipleship of children and youth. As always, we're hosted by Pastor Ben Palaz, the family and discipleship pastor at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, and Pastor Anthony Trussoni, the supported elder at Poland Baptist Church in Poland, Maine. All right, Tony, we're back at it. Um, I'm refreshed, took a walk around the building, had a few Oreos and some broccoli, and it looks like you got some coffee. I do have coffee. I have French press. I have uh, actually pour over coffee. Mm, that sounds good. Good, right, that, delicious. I would would like some of that. I I settled for broccoli today, so it's ah. vitamins. And uh, I'm now drinking what we call down here in the south the pot liquor. Uh, you know, you put water in vegetables and cook it, and then you know you've got what's left in the pot there. So got some salt and pepper seasoned uh, and little bits of broccoli, but actually doesn't taste that bad. It's like broccoli tea in a way. Interesting. So, I think tea yeah. tastes bad, so and plus I also think we want a revolution so we don't have to know what tea tastes like. <laughs> oh that's that is true. That is true. Um but today uh we're not gonna talk about tea and revolutions and stuff. Uh, maybe a revolution in, in some ways as as uh we'll get into. But um Tony, have you seen I, I bet I know the answer. But I'm just going to ask anyway. Have you seen the Shiny Happy People documentary? I absolutely have. So I knew you would have. Um, yeah, I have not. Now, I have seen clips of it, and I have talked to people who have seen it, and I've read at least one review of it that was, you know, just written, not just I liked it or I didn't like it, but kind of thoughtfully engaging with it. Um, and th- that kind of thing uh, is what we want to get in today. Um, you know, I never. I think I saw clips of that the Duggar show. Did you ever watch it? My wife liked it, so I tolerated it, and probably read theology books while she was watching it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I thought I re- that you had told me that she liked to watch the show. Yeah, I never. I mean, I saw like said you know bits and pieces of it, but um, I have an allergy never- to reality TV in general, so. <laughs> Okay. Well, yeah, and, and that that makes sense. Um, that that's what we that, that kind of thing um, that those folks were caught up in uh, that that documentary is addressing, but wider issues than that. Kind of the culturally conservative <laughs> Christian movement that came in the eighties, nineties, early two thousands. Um, I mean, yes, there are pockets of it still. It at least from my vantage point, it does not seem to have the same spot that it did. Uh, I don't know. Do you think I'm right in that, or do you think I'm off base? Maybe it went down as the downward dog went up, to refer to our, pre- our previous <laughs> podcast. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, um, probably. I would agree with you on that. Yeah. So, again, I mean, it was like we don't have hard and fast data on this. This is just sort of putting my finger up in the air and, you know, feeling for the breeze. But, um, you and I both have run in Christian circles for a while. And so, sometimes you can have a little bit better handle of that from the inside and then that's one of the things we want to talk to come um related to this or against conservative christian movement stuff um sometimes they're coming from the outside or from maybe people were on the inside but now are on the outside um and so anyway it can just lead to various kinds of um 
issues with the perspectives that are given. But uh, what was your first exposure to conservative Christian circles? So I would say a few different things. Uh, I had some extended family that was that was kind of connected to that. Uh, a lot of the conservative Christian, you know, that that not quite Duggar situation, but a lot of that kind of conservative first and Christian second, maybe. Uh, and then I, I remember there was a friend of mine whose family was really followed very conservative values. I would go to their house, and uh, yeah, I would experience a lot of that. So, okay, and just to to define terms when we're talking about culturally conservative, yeah, I mean probably a lot of these folks were or the vast majority were conservative politically. We're talking about they took the Bible seriously, but then their approach to life and that kind of thing uh, was also very socially conservative. Um, and again, not just on social issues that, that have, you know, a political uh, outworking, but just, you know, women wearing skirts or yeah. um, the kinds of music and, and all kinds of things wrapped up with it. Um, and to so be fair, there tends not, to be significant overlap. But yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I, I would agree. Um, so wh what was your impression of those that exposure that you had? Yeah, so I remember thinking that a lot of it was really naive and bigoted. Uh, and mm -hmm. so, you know, I thought it was I remember some elements of even little things like, uh, you know, at a friend's house, some some rules that were had in the household that, uh, in, that I thought were uh, silly and even around video games, actually. <laughs> and, hmm. and I kind of mocked it. Uh, I thought it was hypocritical at times. Uh, not And certainly I've seen some cases where family members even have, have embraced that and there's been hypocrisy in it. So I, I, was, I generally saw it at first probably as naive, but also hypocritical. What about you? What was your okay. first experience with this? So I went – I grew up in a church that was a – I mean they would identify themselves as a fundamentalist independent Baptist church. Now I, I've talked about it before. It was not like the angry fundamentalism um, that you know everyone outside here is going to hell and we're really happy about that. I would say it was a joyful group. Um, you know, it was King James only, and, and they – most of the – from what I remember, most of the women wore dresses at least to church. And this was also, you know, in the early to mid-90s. Um, it was just the kind of the church culture. Like everybody dressed up basically to go to church, Yeah. Um, at least in our church. I mean very, very few exceptions to that. Um, but we did not have – that I remember any homeschoolers, or if we did, they were in a very much in the minority. It was mostly kids in public school, some kids in Christian school. Um, so we were not like a, you know, in this little sect, or you know, we lived off on some kind of, uh, uh, you know, commune. It was nothing like that. Um, but just you know, the attitudes attitudes towards the culture, and, and that's one of the things I think too. You see in depictions in popular culture, a lot of times if the critique or assessment is coming from people who are not really within Christian circles, um, or maybe they're coming from like very liberal Christian circles, um, anybody to the right of them yeah. are fundamentalist. But I mean, that's just the way the terms has been used, at least in the camp. Fundamentalist and evangelicals are not the same thing. It's kind of their, their stance towards the culture um, is a little bit more, or maybe a lot more standoffish. 
Um, I, I do uh, want to add, you know, on my background of it to some degree, probably uh, it's harder for me to think about my original experience because even that, you know, I didn't grow up in the South and I didn't, you know, Christian. Uh, that the, some of the earliest Christianity I was exposed to was whether it be through the Christian school uh, or the church I was baptized in was it was pretty charismatic. Actually, the church I was baptized in was uh, basic was the Assembly of God breakoff group that held to the autonomy of the local church. So it was basically Assemblies of God in all things other than there was nobody over the local church. And uh, and but you know that tends to be a little less conser- uh, culturally conservative, and uh, maybe even significantly less. And I I would say probably my first real exposure to a lot of what you're talking about actually came in the South. The, my first Sunday at Bible College, my first Sunday at Bible College, I overslept and I went to the only church with 11 a.m. service, so I wasn't late. And at this little Baptist church uh, that uh, I went and I I wore a uh, a ball cap to a church and and so. And they railed against people who'd have the audacity to wear ball caps in church, and and after and that was kind of a cultural, I think, a cultural thing, and and I had to navigate that because I thought it was really really odd that even somebody would think about that. Mm. That's yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I I grew up in in those circles, and I sort of took a lot of those things for granted initially. Uh, as I got a little older, and I had friends and other people that were not fundamentalists uh, and just, you know, begin to engage with the world and assess things. I, and then my family left that church and we went to another church. Um, And over time, I began to question some of those kinds of things. And, and like you, I saw some, I guess some of the thinking around those things is a little simplistic um, or yeah, inconsistent, sometimes lacking or often lacking nuance and so, anyway, and we'll get into some of the the details on that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I grew up within conservative Christian circles. But uh, my parents were not like the most hardcore, you know, imaginable. I think they loved the Lord and they wanted to try to raise me to do the same thing. But um, it was, yeah, I don't think of anything too crazy. Um, so, how do you think that some of these approaches to the Christian life and the family and that kind of thing arose um, based on what was going on? Or do you see a connection between some of these approaches and what was going on historically and culturally, kind of leading up into those times in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s? Yeah, and this is where the historical, especially the American historian, pardon me, connects it more to politics, probably, because I think that it followed through from some significant elements of politics. Actually, even in the shiny, happy people, it probably, it shouldn't have been a surprise that uh, Jim Bob Duggar was essentially a Tea Party politician before he was a stalwart in that kind of culturally conservative movement. Uh, but so uh, I think from what I understand, the pro- that the protest movements during the Vietnam War, it brought about what was called the silent majority by Nixon and, and others, and kind of this idea basically that you know the silent majority are the ones that that told the whole toe the line, and then not just that they toe the line politically, but that they kind of can withhold the sense of conservative lifestyle. And which is probably in some sense true. And then out of that, a few de- a decade or so later kind of sprang the moral majority. And some have argued that that actually may have been more of a response to after things settled down. Uh, there was de- there was significant acts of desegregation and especially in the South and 
and there was opposition to even private schools existing that were allowed to be segregation schools. And I know most historians now would probably argue that the more majority is probably influenced by being pro-life, which is great, but maybe the big flash in the pan issue was segregate desegregation of schools. Uh, but the 80s, I think, particularly was kind of the first nostalgic era in American history. You know, the first great nostalgia era. There's been a couple others, but there's a there's more of a cultural built-in a sense of, of return, especially to the ideals of the post of post-war America. And I think that created some of this kind of go back to conservative cultural mentality that that was indoctrinated and catechizing Christians without actually being necessarily taught from Scripture. Yeah, I mean, over the last few years, I've read several things looking at that time period from kind of, you know, post-World War II, um, uh, in the intervening decades, up, kind of up until now, um, from different angles about different things, but just gleaning things. Yeah, and there were there was the communist threat. I just guess I didn't realize how big of a shadow that cast over American life yeah. um, and, and American religious life even. Um, but this this threat of communism coming and it's going to change things. And and to some extent, I can understand that we see this big, bad communist, uh, atheist giant and they're encroaching all over the world. Uh, but that was a big deal. Um, there's also the, the cultural upheaval of the 60s and the 70s that worked its way out. And so some of that response um, you know, that you were talking about it was in response to to those things. And so, yeah, there's a lot of complicated issues in that, um, for sure. And so people looking for certainty or yep. stability underneath them. And, uh, because yeah, I mean, it was, um, I, I didn't live through the sixties and seventies and lived through, I don't know, roughly half of the eighties, but, uh, I don't have a whole lot of memories from that, that time period. Uh, I was, you know, playing GI Joe and Batman and stuff, uh, mostly, but, um, you know, just in the, the reading that I've done, I mean, there was some pretty crazy stuff going on, you know, and there's, uh, what was the thing with the, um, Patty Hearst, um, you know, she was the newspaper heiress. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just all these kinds of things that were going on. Uh, Gerald Ford, uh, was multiple assassination attempts on him in this short time span. And it just seems like the culture was convulsing. Um, and so this, yeah, this return to the good old days kind of thing. Uh, and also, I mean, you know, with the Vietnam War and some of those kinds of things, there were these skeptical types who were very, becoming very critical of America's what America was doing, America's stance towards the world, and various things like that. And so then you had some others come out and say, no, we need to stop apologizing. And so this is, you know, basically if America does it, it's good. Yeah. Um, and I mean, both sides were, had some things that um, could be gleaned. Also, both sides had things that um, you could critique them for. And nuance is just hard. You know, like it's easier to just go with this one, you know, black or white kind of thing. And so yeah, people yeah, like out of that, that maelstrom kind of brought some of these things. What were you saying? Yeah, people don't like nuance, I think, especially in a post-COVID era. <laughs> yeah, uh, nuance doesn't go well on Twitter. Um, no. So... Yeah. So anyway, people began to see the approach to to life, and, and again, from some of these maybe folks 
were influenced by some of these things and then tried to go places that were they were trying to be helpful. Some maybe had more devious motives. I, I don't know. But there, there's just a lot there. And I think it's helpful to keep that in the background of, of kind of some of the stuff that we see now. Like people who are millennials grew up within those kinds of things. Um, and some of the things that we experienced were responses to stuff that happened before we were born. Um but people saw various kind of entailments of Christianity. If you're a Christian, you'll live like this. You'll do this with your family. You'll approach child rearing this way, dating, whatever. Um, and, and we've talked about some of these different issues. We talked about the purity culture before, um, modesty. Um, i trying to think what else. Um, I mean these, these things have come up. Um, and, and we see a lot of these things where – like you, Josh Harris, and he wrote the dating book, and then he came out and he's like, "Well, I don't think all that stuff's true." Well, now he comes out and I don't think Christianity's it yeah. either. Um, and you see these kinds of things now coming up to kind of go back and attack, you know, the the heritage. Um, so this is not necessarily a recovery project that the heritage was all good. Um, we were just talking about some of this with the cultural things, looking back and oh no, whatever we did was good. It's not what we want to do, but just try to assess this um critically and what's good what's bad so do you or, or did you take the entailments of christianity that that you know kind of the cultural christian movement saw as necessary or biblically mandated or did you have questions you know even as you became well you've kind of already answered yeah. that but like i guess maybe expound on that as you became a christian um how were you thinking about that? Yeah, I think for me it was kind of yes and no. I think there's elements of which I I was always a person with a lot of questions in general. Some of it is because uh, I, I've had authority problems at times, especially as a young Christian. Uh, but, you know, I even like, for example, I mean, this isn't necessarily a culturally conservative thing, but, I mean, I was one that, you know, probably the first six months of being a Christian, I believed in theistic evolution. And I don't now, for the record, I very much don't now. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that at the same time, I probably embrace parts of it uh, that Dres Mark Driscoll particularly embraced. I was a big fan of Mark Driscoll when I was a young Christian. And I know he pushed a lot of kind of the, you know, the idea that conservative Christianity means the wife stays at home and doesn't have a job. It means, you know, the, a lot of these things are not really taught in the Bible. But I did buck some of that. I think I bucked some of it even in college. Because I, I remember at TFC, our college, there was a lot of really strict rules that I think were rooted in this kind of conservative um, mentality. I remember even they wanted to, they really a limited exposure to TV. I mean, you couldn't watch R-rated movies, uh, which is not a biblical thing. Uh, but uh, I bucked it. I definitely went to R-rated movies without any question when I was at TFC. And good, the Tacoa uh, 3. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but further, I mean, I bucked it enough that me and some roommates figured out a way to... Um, uh, we figured out a way to hook up an Xbox to play Halo to a computer screen, which was a lot harder back in those days than it is now, uh, and which was was seen by the school as having a TV in our room, uh, and it was breaking the rules technically. But I, yeah, I maybe should have cared more than I did. But that was me, a little bit of bucking cultural Christianity, playing Halo in my dorm. How about you, Ben? Yeah, you know, again, I was raised in it, and so there were certain things that I just took for granted. Um, but as I said earlier, I did. I'm probably not as anti-authority. I mean, it's not like you, I mean you submit to authority, but 
and God's done that in your life over time, yeah. but maybe you have a more of a natural bent to push against authority. Uh, whereas I'm like, eh, I'm okay with it. Now, there can be elements of me though where I'm a little bit curmudgeonly, and like if people are doing it, I'm like, yeah, probably that's probably dumb. Um, probably not a good idea. Um, and so it's more just like not wanting to conform fully. So I I don't know what you make of that, but <clears throat> yeah. So there there were things that I began to to question. Um, and I also then the more, especially the, the more I got distanced from the really conservative circles, um, I still had friends who had associations that way, had a friend, good, real good friend who went to a very ultra, uh, conservative school or college and he would come back and tell me stories, you know, war stories um, <laughs> about, I mean, just, and I will still say to this day, just ridiculous things to ask people who are above the age of 18 to, to do. Uh, I, I, you know, if you're in the military, okay, maybe some of these things might be fitting, but um, there weren't. And so, um, and, and yeah, I mean, when we were, I'm thankful for a lot of things from, from our college days. Yeah, I, I will agree, though. Some of the rules were, I think, holdovers from a, a previous era. Yeah. Um and I remember about the time I became a student there, which I think was your – I forget. No, I think maybe I got there a semester before you did. Yeah, um, right around there, I think. Um, but, I mean, the, like the, the guys still had to wear you know collared shirts to class and khaki pants or something like yep. that, which, again, I mean that's not like wrong, but, I mean, that just was not something that – culturally really was a, a much of a thing now if you went to college in the you know 1962 well probably they were wearing like coats and ties but that, that was just cultural that's what people did um and the, yeah i now that you mentioned that i remember the movies and stuff like that i don't remember it making too big of a deal to me but um at the time i certainly didn't figure out a way to hook up something in my room um so you know we can look we can critique um and I want to do that. But what do you appreciate about the conservative Christian approaches to life and engaging with the world? Yeah, you know, I think there is a sense of safety in it, especially and, and even for me, you know, as a young Christian, I think I needed some element of stability, of life stability. I didn't have much of it before faith. And, you know, maybe having some of those rules was good for me at times, even though I disobeyed them left and right. But, uh, oh, you know, boy, I you would have you roasted at the school I'm thinking of. This yeah, I'm sure. So, uh, you know, I, I also think, you know, holding to an old way can be wisdom. I mean, the reality is I think sometimes the wisdom in a cultural conservatism is realizing that that what that uh, the wisest people aren't the people that that started doing things five minutes ago <laughs> and saying thinking, you know, maybe people did what they did in the past for a reason. I, I think that's well said. And, and just to be clear now, we're, we're keeping the we tried to define some terms, but culturally conservative we're using is a pretty broad generic description of a lot of things so not just one not just fundamentalism uh, not just evangelicalism but just kind of the more uh, just a conservative outlook yeah so you may import some things there um as you listen as you think about it uh that everyone else won't um yeah and we're also not calling for throwing the baby out with the bathwater 
and we're not calling for you know progressive Christian culture or something like that. Yeah. Because uh, you see some of that where it's like, oh man, that you know dating stuff modesty was restrictive, so we're just gonna wear whatever we want, and sleep with who, whoever we want, and you know that's it's all good. Um, I, no, I mean we're just trying to be biblically wise. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and I, I think you're right. They're just there are things that that are good to be conserved, and uh, I think. Trying to take the Bible, trying to take holiness seriously, and realizing that the world is corrupt, um, whether it's American culture or you know Tanzanian or South African or whatever it is, that the culture around us is corrupt. Um, though it's not absolutely and utterly nothing redeemable about it or good about it, but it is when fallen people get together and they make a culture, they, they're going to resist God. Uh, and so kind of an awareness of that. Um, I, I think those are some of the, the good things that we can say uh, and just trying to, to go about that in a way that, you know, we want to honor the Lord. Um, so for the things at least that you did adopt about the culture or when – because I know, I mean, we've had conversations over the years where you began to push against some stuff, um, I guess maybe more pointedly. When did you really begin to question the orthodoxy of some of these entailments of the Christian life? Um or certain issues that really kind of raise your eyebrows. Yeah. Can you uh, define orthodoxy for those who might not understand that word? I've been told uh, to, that we need to define that more by listeners. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So orthodoxy, um, believe straight, uh, straight in your doctrine, straight in um, what this is. We're conforming to what this group says is correct. So like the Christian doctrine, what, what conforms to what the Bible actually teaches. Yeah. So I would say in ways I think I always questioned, uh, especially on some political manifestations in the connection of the culture. Uh, but, uh, you know, I question more of these kind of things after Mark Driscoll. Uh, you know, it wasn't necessarily after he his ministry ended, but after, you know, I realized how much of a fool he is, probably after he went to that strange fire conference and acted like an idiot. And <laughs> to be frank, I, I legitimately I think that caused some questioning because he wasn't, you know, it didn't sound like something a comedian would do. Yeah. So I, I also think I grew into, especially in seminary, I grew into more knowledge of the idea of the sufficiency of scripture. And I think that played a role here, you know, and I think that I've kind of become convinced by scripture, especially, honestly, the Old Testament, that, that you know, it is an essentially an equal error to add uh, add a statement, to add claims beyond the Bible as it is to take away from the Bible. Both of them actually delegitimize the authority of the Bible. And so I think seeing that and seeing, I mean, the fact that, I mean, some of these things, frankly, aren't taught, specific, aren't taught in Scripture and I mean, I, I actually recently read, uh, you talked about the Duggars, one of the Duggars, former Duggars, uh, Jessa Seawald, I think her name is now, wrote a uh, book about kind of getting out of that Duggar stuff. And she brought up, you know, a lot of these things aren't in the Bible. And, uh, and I think that's an important thing, even if it's a good, healthy tradition, if it's not in the Bible to wage it over anyone, I kind of realize it is abusive. To, yeah, to put it on someone's conscience that you that you ought to do this, you yeah. must do this, uh, that's when it becomes problematic. Yeah, I think some of those issues, uh, and even the question, you know, say modesty. Well, yes, modesty is appropriate, but how we define that based on the culture and 
various things like that. Well, it gets it's harder to do. Uh, it doesn't mean that you can't know anything and can't have any sense of modesty. Um, like you, you mentioned some of the the political outworkings. Um, again, putting on someone's conscience that they that really the only righteous way is to vote X on position you know C. Yeah. Well, if we're saying uh, are we voting to legalize murder or not, we're having a referendum. Well, then that one's pretty clear. But there's a lot of issues with politics. To Christians can agree on the big picture biblical teaching, but then um, <clears throat> working out to actual policy to how do we try to implement this or promote this or protect this, there's a little bit more of a jagged or winding pathway there. And um, it's important that we recognize that. And sometimes either people don't recognize that or they're just not being honest that uh, to get from point A to point B took a lot of a lot of twists and turns. And so um, I, I think those are some ways that are not helpful. Um, and, and some you've helped me to see. And again, not that uh, and you and I have political disagreements, um, but. I think we both also want to to stand up for those that we would disagree with politically and say, yes, the, this is a, an issue of conscience and of wisdom and sound judgment uh, and not a matter of you know gospel fidelity that you vote this way or that way or uh, see this particular issue just like I do. Yeah. Tony, I mean, I think we've kind of brought this up and would agree that nuance is, is difficult and and because it's difficult, it doesn't happen as much. Um, it's easy to kind of jump to black or to white. And, and yes, certain issues clearly are black or white. Yeah. There's also other issues, though, where there are shades in between. And I, maybe freedom in Christ um, arises and, you know, Christian liberty. Um, why do you think it's so easy for groups to pull up lines and barriers that go beyond the Bible um, and say that this is like the faithful approach to living in this world and this culture at this time. Yeah. I mean, I think legalism feels safe and less challenging. Mm. You know, I, I think legalism and these kind of things, which really it is legalism. It feels like, you know, it makes, you know, it makes life has left questions and, but questions are a good thing. Questions can be a good thing as they can dive us into deeper faith with God. But yeah, I think that's kind of uh, a big attraction. I think even attraction uh, now, I mean, you mentioned kind of the idea that a lot of this is passing away. And I think in many ways it is. I would argue some of the stuff that's happening, out, particularly out West, uh, among certain Presbyterians, is probably even more extreme than some of the conservative Christianity of the past era. Uh, and, and a lot of that is growing through the internet. And I think that it makes life safe and less challenging to kind of have a good guy and bad guy you know the we have answers to every little question I also think that there we have a kind of an emotional connection with other Christian teachings and so you know even for myself I mean I think of you know the Driscoll stuff some of the unhealthy view of gender that Driscoll had. I mean, I probably bought into it because I, I like some of his good teaching. You know, I like something that some things that he did well and and he encouraged me to study the Bible deeply. And so I had the, you know, if he's going to say that, you know, he says good things. So I have this emotional connection. I also think that we are kind of in the rage news era, you know, <laughs> time. And, you know, we, we are 
that kind of rage news and rage uh, focus builds a crowd. People want to be angry. And and I think that can be one of the att- attractions. I mean, I've seen it. I mean, I've seen, I've been in a church that, you know, the where the pastor gets the, you know, the most amens for raging against the person that's not there and making rules that aren't in the Bible. And uh, and I think it's, there's an attraction in sinful men because he actually, that makes it so we don't have to deal with our internal sin. But what do you think, Ben? Uh, well, amen uh, to that. Um. You know, wisdom is, uh, I know one writer called wisdom the gold standard in the Old mm-hmm. Testament. You seek after it. it. It's better than riches, this kind of thing. But wisdom takes time to gain. It's not instant. And yes, we pray for wisdom, and God gives wisdom to those who have understanding, and he gives generously. But generally, it's not, you know, open the lid, and then he pours you know a big picture of it um it, it's gained over time and critical thinking and assessing these things is hard and not everyone is given to those kinds of things um and, and you talked about raising questions and i think both of us would agree we don't i mean there, there can be this tendency especially these people you know deconstructing their faith or, or whatever and it's like i'm just asking questions but it's sort of asking and questions with no intention of like finding an answer i think both of us are like no let's find an answer there is an answer out there somewhere or i like to use a math analogy it's been a long time since i dealt with these but asymptotes um you know they they approach a line the curve approaches the line and it gets closer and closer and closer it never actually touches the line it just keeps getting closer and so i mean with some of these things what is the exact right faithful way well we may not be able to precisely formulate it but we as we evaluate the culture as we evaluate god's word as we keep in step with the spirit and become more like christ well yeah maybe we can keep getting closer there and help one another to do that uh in a spirit of love um but yeah legalism feels safer and, and that was one of the things i heard about bill gother the was institute for basic life principles yeah. you know there was this cultural upheaval and here this guy comes with certainty and mm-hmm. and you can see that with other kinds of figures in in various contexts, whether it's politically and some demagogue arises or in other situations where I heard the same thing about Driscoll. I think that was said in that um, rise and fall of Mars Hill about, you know, what is a man? What is a woman? This was before the whole, you know, transgender madness um, that we're experiencing. But people are confused and Driscoll's like, well, here, I'll tell you how it is. This is how it is, you know, and if you don't like it, the bus is going to run over you. and so for some that that's attractive, like, well, I'm kind of floundering in life, and this guy's got this confident vision for it. Um, and I mean you can see it now taking in a different direction uh, with some of the, the rise in like stoic philosophy stuff. Have, have you seen that? No, I haven't. Read articles about it? I'm, I actually haven't read that much on it, so to ex- okay. explain to me. So now I'm not – so I was – uh, looking for a car several months back, yeah. and I saw this guy reading uh, Marcus Aurelius or something. That he was waiting. Oh yeah, yeah, the men, the hyper masculinity part with it. Yeah, yeah. So some yeah. of that stuff. Yeah, Joe Rogan, uh, Ryan Holiday, um, some of these different. Uh, what's the guys? Jocko Willink. Um, now, not all of them are quoting, actively quoting Stoic philosophers. Though Ryan Holiday does. Yeah. Um, but this idea of you know have purpose, Jordan Peterson kind of falls into that as well. And these young men, I mean, it's, just look at the sociological stats. Young men are floundering, um, mm-hmm. and 
there are a lot of reasons for that, but there's a lack of certainty, lack of stability, and here you go, man up, I'll give it to you. Let's go. And so that that's appealing. And so um, I think that's where some of that comes from. And, and maybe some people feel ill-equipped to try to – probably a lot of people feel ill-equipped to try to um, really wade through it carefully and go, okay, instead of jumping to this or to this and just kind of like have the pendulum swing um, – let, let's think about this carefully nuanced. It's like, well, this this sounds good. And like you said, the emotional thing, or I trust this guy on this one thing, so he's probably right on this other one. Yeah. Um, so how can we guard against that pendulum swing of, of you know just on one end rebelling against or overreacting to abuses or inconsistencies of you know uh, various families or churches or institutions or, or whatever and just kind of swinging back and forth? Yeah, so uh, I think you're going to ask that first as family. Uh, that yeah, so let's break it down in two parts. So individuals and families first. Yeah, so I would say, uh, and this actually will apply to some significant degree to churches as well, but uh, theolo- practice theological triage, which you've talked about, the idea that we need to uh, break down all theology based on importance and not treat rejecting uh, practices uh, as that these kind of cultural practices is biblically required as you do that. You know, I think there is always some theology behind, you know, just because there's not a Bible verse behind the weird thing in uh, the Institute of Basic Life where they had to, the woman had to have curly hair uh, just because there's not a Bible verse for it doesn't mean that there's not a thought <laughs> or theology behind it. This is the thing. Did you watch it? No. Oh yeah. <laughs> anyway, that was yeah. That was the thing. The woman had curly hair because that's what uh, the leader thought was becoming of a woman. Anywho, but uh, the uh, and, uh, <laughs> what about Asian women? <laughs> I, I guess they use curlers. People use curlers. So, but anyway, that's true. Okay. Well, and, I'll have to pass that information along. And, and I'll add in addition to that, and hopefully, I haven't lost everybody here. Make clear with kids that, uh, our opinions on things like climate change or our preferred candidate. Or, you know, maybe other cultural things, you know, maybe, you know, on, you know, appropriate, appropriate dress uh, that beyond issues of modesty, you know, what's professional, that kind of thing. Make sure that these aren't necessary biblical convictions when they're not. Uh, and I think we need communicating that kids uh, will allow them to have some freedom to disagree and, and understand what is core to our faith. Uh, and I think also finally embrace normal di- uh, godly disagreement, you know, even potentially having, I think, debates around our kids, you know, welcoming your brothers and sisters in Christ to have have godly discussions about, you know, maybe purity culture things in a way that can demonstrate, yeah, we, you know, these are not, these are not the law of the land. These are not things that we're riding and die on. <laughs> um, I think those are certainly, uh, good thoughts. And, and how about for churches beyond anything to, that you'd add specifically for local churches? Yeah. So I think one of the particularly important things here would be minding the teaching ministry. As in being careful to not use the teaching ministry to rail against uh, things that like Driscoll railed against and that kind of cultural conservatism. You know, I think of there was great biblical teaching of Driscoll. There's great biblical teaching of all these kinds of cultural conservative figures, but uh, often 
But the problem becomes when, you know, they start railing about how how awful men are that play video games or, you know, <laughs> about, uh, about how terrible and godless working moms basically are. And so I think be mindful in the teaching ministry to not go beyond what the Word of God says. Uh, actually, for me, that even helps me to, I'm a manuscript preacher and maybe I'm too much of one, but I think it that encourages me to want to be a manuscript guy because so that we don't go beyond what the text of scripture says. And it's not just random pastor Tony's tangents for today. Uh, And and I I think because I of course have my own thoughts. I think also be careful about Christian voter guides. I I think this can be an aspect because again, the culture and politics plays a, a significant role. That's something that has done a lot of churches and, and maybe even a part of it, you know, a lot of this kind of conservative Christianity is a hyper nationalistic. So maybe be careful about avoiding a flag, knowing that our identity is chiefly in Christ. So, you... Yeah, there's a fellow at our church. Uh, we were talking about the Christian voter guides and uh, he was joking. He's like, well, maybe we should go to the liberal churches and get the voter guides that they have and then put them out with the ones that, that typically appear in more conservative, you know, Bible believing churches. Um, and, th- and then we'd have a little bit more of a mix there because I, and I you know, those having a, a lineup of what candidates think on an issue is helpful. Um, but I remember seeing one few elections, I don't even remember when it was, but not super long ago, um, that had highlighted some specific issues. And some I understood why those were highlighted. Other ones, I thought, is there like a distinctively Christian perspective on this particular issue? Um, It did not seem to just jump off the page to me that that this was a a clearly biblically mandated position, you know. Um, And so, you know, but it, the, the items were chosen so that in one column, one candidate had yeses, and the other column had his candidate had noes. And so it's like, oh, goodness. You know, and I mean, there's a, a how it plays with your brain kind of thing there. Um, yeah, I remember one of them I saw, and it, and it was uh, for local politician, a political thing in a state I was at at the time, and it did the you know it, it did the thing where it gives the green check mark and then the red uh, cross out, and it, it was supposedly a Christian voter guide, and one of them it had right next to a red check mark and noted that one politician uh, supports a um, high capacity magazine ban, and it's like I, I, I'm trying to think of all the Bible verses that say that it's sinful to have high that to have a high capacity magazine ban regardless of your political thoughts the christians strongly can disagree with that and they're good arguments for disagreeing with that but you know it, it all <laughs> to think of that is like th- this is the christian teaching it's a little bit weird yes the as the apostle peter said yeah. uh yeah I, I mean some of this kind of stuff it does get you know to the point of being silly um but I think that you brought us some really good points that um, we we do want to be careful to to keep our finger in the text. And like I know this past Sunday, I was preaching. Just we're in a series going through James. Come to James uh, five one to six, which addresses you rich. You know, watch out because judgment's coming for how you've hoarded wealth and been un just in the way that you've treated workers and uh, used the legal system against them and this kind of thing. And so, you know, just trying to draw out implications of this for our own use of wealth. And 
you know, I had to use restraint to not um, spell out all of what that looked like because there yeah. may be ways where I think it's improper for someone to use their wealth, um, but it may be okay with them and the Lord. Then the Lord may not, you know, call them into judgment for it. And there may be ways that they look at me and say, "What well, you spent money on that? Why?" Yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, it was it was a good exercise for me to be very careful and. Um, and I even made the point. I said, I cannot draw individual lines for you on individual issues. I don't have the authority to do it. I don't have the wisdom yeah. to do it. Um, and so just trying to – but I, you know, so I can bring this to your conscience and point you to the word of God and, and urge you to look to the spirit for help. Um, and so with a lot of these kinds of things um, – and I think as we – well, we'll get to this here in a second, but – this kind of I do want to ask question. a question How real quick. How can yeah. local churches in particular create um, a counterculture within the, the, their larger cultures that they exist in um, that doesn't impose a new legalism of, okay, well, this, yeah, everybody else before got it wrong, but we've got it right. Just do like this and you'll be faithful. Um, they're not doing that, but they're, they're still also joyfully holding the line of biblical faithfulness and love. They're not just throwing everything out as an overreaction. Um, so, yeah, how do we create those kind of countercultures uh, within local churches? It's a good question. Before I answer that, I did want to ask you, for the sake of our listeners, at what point in the sermon, if they listen online of that sermon, do you refer to the millionaires and the billionaires? <laughs> you have to go. I, I did do. Actually, I've taken a, a tip from you about the, like if you're you got kids in the service and asking them, well, how many times do I say this this whatever word and if so you gotta like, get a piece of candy well i've done that some man the kids love that and the adults i have all these adults coming up and like was this the number was this the number and they say it helps them pay attention so i did say the word wealth a lot um so that's good so all right so uh yeah i will say in response to that uh question finally uh, i say we can see god's commandments as good and both their confrontation and their limitations. I think that is one core thing to do is, as I think that we, a way that we can find safe ground in this is that we celebrate what God has actually commanded. I, again, both in the fact that it, it nails us, you know, it really hits us across the face in a good way, but also in the fact that God's word, it is intentional in what it doesn't and what it doesn't address and what it allows freedom on and celebrate that fact. See the Bible as, as profoundly that, you know, you talk about being wise, see the Bible as the profound source of wisdom, even in what it chooses not to say. I think another way that uh, they can do this is by being confessional, uh, you know, holding to historic confession of faith, you know, uh, affirming uh, that, uh, teachings and convictions from scriptures that have long been held for generations rather than just kind of what you know what what my preacher that's writing my homeschool curriculum that <laughs> says in this history topic so uh and i think also uh i'd lastly i'd add uh, we should avoid unspoken kind of pet protocols and this i think can be a problem in the church that can can navigate this kind of legalism more i've noticed than people want to talk about i think there are churches that have these kind of pet protocols pet practices that aren't necessarily rooted in a biblical text or haven't been taught and you know it's kind of a sacred cow and i think we got to be careful about that in context of local churches so uh, do you have like a specific example you give us 
without throwing rocks at anybody. <laughs> Try not to uh, throw. Oh yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think a great example of it can be back to the, the that church that I went to in, in college. I mean, that church that I went to in college. That I that I looked at the data primitive website, and there was nothing in their website about uh, what about that you shouldn't wear hats in the worship <laughs> Don't service. Wear hats, but <laughs> people clearly understood what the practice of the church was on that. Okay. All right. Um, Good counsel. Um, I I think, again, you know, we talked about how when there's cultural instability, which there was coming out of these decades, and then you have some figure who's like, I'll tell you what you should do. And, I mean, they sort of have the um, intestinal fortitude, shall we say, to just stand up and just point, this is this, 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 this is how you do it. Yeah. that can be appealing. And so we have to be careful about flocking to celebrities or some single movement that acts like it has all the answers or the specific courses of action. Um, I was talking to um, Susan, my assistant. Uh, she, does, she does a great job. She edits these as well, at least the ones that um, I come up with questions for. But I, I figured she had watched the, the shiny, happy people thing. And um, – you know, she is uh, at a stage of life where she's still she's raising a middle schooler, but yeah. she has three adult daughters, and so and they homeschooled. Now she pointed out how her one of her daughters said, "We homeschooled, but we weren't homeschoolers," uh, and, and you know there's a, a distinction there. But mm-hmm. you know they were within this cultural movement to some degree, but not just latched on to one you know teacher or one ministry, and you know like this is the way. Yeah. Um, and so she was talking about one of the Duggar daughters um, had written a book or something and made the point about how – like I think it was with Bill Gothard that he started off with some of these biblical principles, but then he went extra biblical and he sort of denied the sufficiency of scripture um, like you've been talking yeah. about. And so you know, getting very specific in application that like this is the way. Uh, and so we just want to be really careful and guard – against that uh because i've heard i heard mark dever i think uh, make this observation several years ago and i've pondered it since then i think we've talked about this some but christians who take the bible seriously we really have trouble with conscience it just makes us uncomfortable and i think just kind of the human nature like we want like you said legalism feels safe just tell me what to do don't don't ask me to reflect and to meditate and to work these principles into my life. Just tell me what to do and I'll go do it. You know, what must I do for eternal life, Jesus? Just tell us and we'll do it. You know, um, yeah. and that's uh, something that we just have to push against constantly. And um, I think we've got to pray that the Lord would would build this kind of a a community within local churches um, that we're okay being different together. Like because if, if we're going to be joyfully holding the line of biblical faithfulness and love we are going to increasingly stand out we're going to be swimming upstream um and just being okay with that but that you know we're not doing things out of fear that's another thing i've heard about the uh the shiny happy people and the duggars and the IBLP or whatever it is um just there was a lot of fear-based things you know like the the world's going to gobble up our kids but i mean that's the case whenever or wherever we live like the world is against god i mean we we live in babylon and so just praying that we can build families and churches where uh our kids 
and others look and see that the things that we believe, yet they're true, but they are good yeah. and they lead to joy. And it's not just this rigid system. Um, and yeah, I mean, Paul in Philippians, rejoice. Like, I'll tell you it again, rejoice. Like that, that is part, that is a spirit given character of our heart. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's got to take the spirit's work. And so I don't just say that as a, you know, the Pat Sunday school answer. Like we need to, to seek God for that earnestly, um, and pray for wisdom. I mean, Paul in Philippians one, he prays that they would have wisdom and discernment related to love. The way I understand that is, is so that they can know how to love well, depending on the circumstance. What does love look like here? Yeah. Uh, and it's not just, well, here's the set of rules. Um, so there, there's more that we could say. But yeah, I mean, we need a work of God to to draw us to one another, draw us to him, and to, to hold up his word as sufficient, um, and to leave place for conscience. Um Tony, are there any resources that you know of that look at some of these historical issues, cultural issues, or, or you know, provide kind of a wise assessment of some of these things um, looking yeah. back or moving ahead? I think of three. Uh, so I, I really, really loved, and I think I referred to this back in the Purity podcast, uh, but I think it teaches principles that can navigate all kinds of things. It's Talking Back to Purity Culture by Rachel Joy Welcher. Uh, fantastic book, especially as a lot of the responses on that area of cultural Christianity has kind of over-responded. Uh, another one uh, that the, because, and I, again, I think this is going to navigate more the politics, but I think politics are going to intersect with this kind of cultural thing. Uh, and it's going to give diff good perspective on it is how can I love church members with different politics? Mm -hmm. It's a little nine marks booklet. Uh, Jonathan Lehman, I forgot who else wrote it, but it's a uh, short little book. Fantastic. And lastly, I think of uh, a book that uh, I recommend, although I don't necessarily recommend everything this author has done as of late, uh, but Onward by Russell Moore. I think Onward by Russell, I think might be one of the best books on this source and had, you know, had a, a story not gone the way that it went with with that figure. I think that probably would be seen more as kind of a definitive book on engaging this kind of culture thing from a Christian worldview and holding out for the gospel cheaply. Okay. What do you think, Ben? Uh, yeah, I don't have anything to add. Some of the things that I've read have been... Uh, though I, I have read the one you're talking about, the uh, politics, uh, people with different politics. That is very helpful. It's a very short read, very straightforward. Um, it just And it brings up the issue of conscience. Uh, and so I think that's a helpful one. Um, th there is a book by the co-author of that, named Andy Nacelli, and it's a book just called Conscience. I think that's kind of related. Um, I don't know just, that one. Huh? I don't know of that one. I'll have to read it. Yeah, it's, it's a fairly short one. Uh, it's written by him and a guy who is a missionary. And so then they have a section, too, where they're considering cultural issues um, through the lens of a missionary. Like when you go into another place, like how do yeah. you assess these things? What is biblical and what's not? And, and how do we work through that? And so that, that can be – again, it's a little bit of a kind of coming from the side um, – but some of the things that I've read have just been more historical uh, that weren't so much addressing this topic head on, but just informed my understanding of it. Am I living through some of this thing and and uh, gained some perspective on that? I was like, oh, OK. So, yeah, it wouldn't necessarily all be stuff I would recommend. But 
Uh, yours, yours are good. Well, thanks for thinking together with me talking uh, about this. I think it's it's helpful. Um, again, that that pendulum effect of our fallenness just it tends to make us want to swing back and forth. And well, if this was bad, and this one group is bad. Well, it's all bad, and you know they're poo poo heads, and we, you know, modesty is bad, and any notion of you know submission and authority is bad, and you know we just react and overreact and turn up the music and we turn down the music and um it's just yeah it's not helpful and so god calls us to wisdom and he promises to give wisdom um, to those who ask of him and that's what we're seeking to do is to grow in that so that we can love uh the the world around us and to love god's people so thanks for spending time thinking about it with me together today amen Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please give us a review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends on social media. All new episodes are available to listen to on Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spreaker, and iTunes. We hope you have a great week, and join us again every first and third Thursday 